A reading from the Gospel according to Matthew. Everyone, then, who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who built his house upon the rock. And the rain fell, and the floods came, and the winds blew and beat upon that house, but it did not fall, because it had been founded on the rock. And everyone who hears these words of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house upon the sand. The rain fell and the floods came, and the winds blew and beat against that house, and it fell, and great was the fall of it. When Jesus finished these sayings, the crowds were astonished at his teaching, for he taught them as one who had authority, and not as their scribes. This question, who are you, is of fundamental importance for our lives. Who you think you are will determine your entire life. It will determine how you spend your free time, how you treat other people, including yourself. It will affect your outlook on the world and life. Hence, this is a very important question. And unfortunately, there has always been a, a sort of humanitarian crisis around this question simply because we don't know who we are. And even sometimes, if we do know who we really are, we don't live from this reality. This crisis is not just something that exists in secular society. It exists in the church, among many well-meaning, well-intentioned Christians. Many of us, many Christians, simply don't know who we are. We live simply like everybody else. And when we don't know who we are, we have, as Jesus says in the Gospel that I just read, built our house, our identity, our very life upon sand. The rains will come, the floods will come, and the winds will blow. And our house, our lives, will collapse because it lacked a firm foundation. Many years ago in our soup kitchen in Harlem, I became uh, very friendly with one of, the, uh, one, of the, uh, one of our neighbors who would always come to the soup kitchen. And he had an interesting story. He, as a, as a young man, he dropped out of high school. 
simply because his grades were, were, were just awful. He didn't really see a point in continuing, so he dropped out of high school. He then entered the military. And after being in the military for some time, he made a pretty serious mistake and he got kicked out of the military. He came home from the military, found a job, got married. Within two years, he was divorced. And in the midst of all of these challenges, this man concluded, he said, I am a loser. I can't do anything right. This is just who I am. I'm, I'm destined to fail. And so this mentality, living from this identity of what who he believed was essentially a loser, he got involved in drugs. He never made any friends, never dated, never really engaged in life. He became a victim of his own thinking. His identity was determined by what his thoughts, by what his feelings were telling him about himself. Another man, and interestingly enough, the same man was in the soup kitchen, but he was serving as a volunteer. This man, by the time he was 30 years old, was a billionaire. He had so much money, he said, that he bought a new car every three months. He had several houses, lots of friends, a thriving business, good health. The sky was the limit for this guy. And he believed, he told us, that at the very core of his being, who he was, that he was a rich, successful, unstoppable human being. Well, fast forward a few years, his business collapsed. He was diagnosed with cancer. And his wife eventually left him because, as she said, she was tired of having things in place of her husband. She wanted a husband, not somebody who could just buy her things. Unfortunately, he was able, he was unable to be that for her. And see, for this man, his identity was in what he did. It seems to me, and perhaps this is a bit of a simplification, but it seems to me that we, temp we attempt to answer this question, who am I, through two ways. The first is interior. We define ourselves by what I like to refer to as our thinking, emotional, or feeling self. 
In other words, the answer to this question, who are you, is dictated by what our thoughts, by what our feelings, or what our emotions are telling us. So our thoughts might be telling us, I'm a loser. So therefore we conclude that's who I am. Perhaps we have the feelings of, I can't pray, right? Every time I go to pray, I get distracted or I start thinking about other things. And so then I conclude, well, I'm not a good Christian because Christians are supposed to pray. I can't pray. Therefore, I'm a terrible Christian and a terrible person. Perhaps we wrestle with a very strong emotion, let's say anger. And so we conclude, I'm an angry person. That's, that's who, this is who I am. Well, thankfully, none of these things can really tell us who we are. Now, does this mean that our thoughts, that our feelings, or that our emotions are not important? Of course not. They serve an extremely important function in our lives. And we certainly don't want to go to the other extreme of completely ignoring them or even denying them. But the point here is that they are unable by themselves to answer this question. Who am I? The second way we tend to define ourselves is exteriorly. We oftentimes define ourselves by things like our job, by our, our social status, by our health, or even our vocations. Now, what do all of these things have in common? Well, our thoughts, our emotions, our feelings, our jobs, social status, even our health, they all change. Oftentimes, beyond our control. And oftentimes, quite regularly. This is why none of these things can really tell us who we are. They are all incompetent. Our identity has to come from a source that doesn't change. Because if not, we have no fixed identity. One day we are this, and next day we are that. There's a great story from the Desert Fathers, and it's the story of Abba Euperius. And the, the way the story goes is this, this Desert Father, this, this old man, was coming back one day to his cave. And as he returned to his cave, there was some thieves inside of his cave stealing, I'm not sure what, but what little possessions this, this holy man had. 
And after the thieves had left, Abba Eupereus realized that these thieves had forgotten something. They forgot a stick that was, I guess, in the corner. Maybe they overlooked it and forgot it. And so this desert father gets the, gets the stick and he, he runs after these thieves. And these thieves see this, this old man coming with this stick. And as he approaches the thieves, he, he gives the thieves the stick and he says, you forgot this. Well, the thieves were shocked and I'm sure terrified and believed this, this old man was a, was a crazy man who had lost his mind. And so they were afraid and said, no, we don't just take the stick. We don't want your stick. And so, so the old man was returning home. He met someone who was walking, I guess, on the same road that these thieves were. And so he gives this stick to this, this stranger and he says, give this to these thieves up ahead. They forgot it. Somewhat of a funny story, but I feel like this, this story exemplifies that Abba Eupreparius is a free man. He is a man whose identity is not found in passing things. Hence, his life was not built on sand. And the question is, where does, they, where does he get such freedom. St. John tells us in his first letter, he says, See what love the Father has given us, that we should be called children of God. And so we are. Dearly beloved, we are God's children now. And so, friends, this question, or the answer to this question, who are you? You are a child of God. You are a son or a daughter of God. That's it. Everything else, your thoughts, your job, even your vocation, is temporary. It cannot reveal yourself to you. Now, some people might ask, how did this happen to me? How did I achieve such a status of being a son, or being a daughter of God? Because for something this profound to occur, something must have happened to us. Something ultimately beyond our control. And the answer, of course, is something profound has happened to you. And once again, it has nothing to do with you. It is, a, it is the wonderful fruit, the gift of our baptism. The Catechism reminds us that baptism not only purifies us from all sins, but it also makes us a neophyte, a new creature, an adopted child of God. Interestingly, you become fully yourself on the day of your baptism. 
For most of you, you were a little child, asleep, probably completely unaware of what was happening. On the day of your baptism, you became yourself. Not when you graduated from college, not when you got married, or not when you even got a promotion at work, all of which are wonderful things, certainly things to be proud of, but ultimately have nothing to do with who you are. Sometimes when I'm, when I'm doing a, a baptism, I tell parents at a baptism that today, in a somewhat of a mysterious and, and a poetic way, we, what we are really doing is celebrating two sacraments. We are celebrating baptism, the more obvious one, and in a very mysterious way, we're also celebrating marriage. Because in baptism, God is wedding himself to the soul. In our baptism, God has said to us, I will be faithful to you all the days of your life. Through good times, through bad times, through sickness and in health. It's God's presence inside of us that transforms us, that makes us become who we really are and reveals ourselves to us. Saint Leo the Great says that if we are indeed the temple of God, and if the Spirit of God lives in us, then what every believer has within himself is greater than what he admires in the skies. In other words, you are amazing. Not because of what you look like, not because of what kind of car you drive, not because of where your kids go to school, but simply because you belong to God. Just pause for a moment and think about this. Inside of you dwells the mystery of God. Inside of you dwells the very presence of God. This God who even the universe can't contain. This God that no mind can fully comprehend or understand dwells inside of you. And in a very real way is breathing his life in you. My friends, what could be better than that? But perhaps you might be a bit disappointed about being a child of God. You might think, well, that's it, you know. But let's pause for a moment and reflect on this. What do all children have in common? Well, every child 
and we were all children at one point. But every child did not choose their own life. It was chosen for them, meaning they did not create themselves. We do not create ourselves. In other words, they have been willed. They have been desired into existence. Otherwise, they couldn't exist. The fact that you exist, the fact that you and I were born and are alive, means that we are desired. Do you have any idea how unique you are? The very odds or the chances of you existing, someone once said, is like a grain of sand on a beach. One in a trillion. And yet here you are. Here I am. And you and I had nothing to do with our own existence. And so what this further implies is not only were you willed or desired into existence, but the main reason for this is because you are loved. A child is chosen, is created out of love. This is who you are. You are entirely lovable, no matter what anyone has said, is currently saying, or will say about you. You are entirely lovable because love has created you. And friends, God does not make mistakes. There, think about this. There is no law written in the universe that says, Father Jeremiah must exist. And so, because of this law, God bowed down before this law and decided to create me. No. Rather, in creating us, God listened to the desire of his heart, not some law. And what is this desire of his heart? It is you. It is I. And our life is a proof of that. Thomas Merton once said, he said, there is no way of telling people they are walking around shining like the sun. Right? What a beautiful image. And what did Thomas Merton see when he said that? He saw this light that is within each one of us. This light that exists, whether we are having a bad day or a bad week or even a bad year. This light that exists despite what we might feel, despite what we might think or what other people might tell us. We are all walking around shining like the sun because God's presence dwells within us. And the great tragedy of life is that we often do not recognize this, either in ourselves or, our other, or other people. And so we don't live from reality as it truly is.
as the way God sees us and the way God sees other people. It seems that the difference here between the saints and us is that the saints live more from this reality in who they really are as children of God. You know, oftentimes the saints are are not exceptionally smarter than, than us. They're not exceptionally born into a, a more perfect family or a social class. Of course, they have their unique gifts and talents, but what is different about the saints is that they live as children of God. Whether they are scholars, whether they are preachers, whether they are humble laborers or married men or women, the saints live from this reality of being a child of God. And my friends, only Jesus can reveal this to us. Only Jesus can reveal yourself to you. The media is certainly not going to reveal yourself to you. The government or even the public education is not going to reveal yourself to you. And this is why listening to talks, reading books about the spiritual life, is unfortunately not enough. The only thing that can really help us experience this truth about ourselves and live more deeply from it is a vibrant and thriving prayer life. A prayer life that is alive, that is engaged, that is seeking the face of God. A prayer life that desires God, not just for what he can do for us, not just for his gifts, his consolations, which are good, of course, but a prayer life that is genuinely seeking God. And that's not merely reciting words or formulas. You know, as a, as a spiritual director, I am not impressed with how many books somebody has read or what retreats they've been on or if they have a degree in theology or, or even what your vocation is. I, in some ways, I could care less. What I'm interested in as a spiritual director is how and if you pray. If you are a person of prayer who is genuinely seeking the face of God. St. Gregory of Nyssa says, We will be blessed with clear vision if we keep our eyes fixed on Christ. A vibrant, a vibrant and thriving prayer life is one whose eyes are fixed on Christ. And what is the fruit of that? A clear vision of who we are, of who God is, and of other people. Just a few biblical examples of this. The Samaritan woman in the Gospel of John, chapter 4, and the call of Levi, the call of Matthew, in Matthew chapter 9. 
What happened to both of these people? Both of these people are somewhat notorious sinners. When Jesus approaches the Samaritan woman, he says, I believe, that her current husband is her fifth husband. Okay? Levi is a tax collector. Matthew is a tax collector. Tax collectors do not have good reputations in in Jesus' day. They were known as being sort of cheaters and liars. And so both of these people are not exactly known for their virtue. Jesus comes into their lives, and both of them immediately abandon their former lives. And the question is, what happened? And what happened was, they caught the gaze of Christ. And I use that word gaze intentionally. To gaze on another is not just to notice them. It's not just to look at them. But it's a loving look. An intentional longing. A look that is full of intrigue and desire. In other words, when Jesus gazed upon them, he penetrated into the very depths of their being. He revealed his desire, his love for them. And by doing so, revealed who they really were. Society was telling them that they were this or that they were that. Jesus comes into their lives and reveals to them something very different. They are desired. They are loved. That they ultimately are children of God. Is it any wonder their lives were completely turned around by their encounter with Christ? And so, friends, in our prayer life, in your own prayer life, have you caught the gaze of Christ upon you? Are you living from this reality that you are a son, that you are a daughter of God? Or is your life or is your prayer life too busy? Is it too wordy, too distracted to even notice his gaze upon you? To the extent that you and I are aware of his gaze upon us, is the extent to which we will know who we really are. St. Paul reminds us, your life is hidden with Christ. In other words, you can't look for yourself outside of him. If you do, you will never find yourself. Because only in him can the mystery of who you are be revealed.